0: Welcome to another episode of Green Jeans, a podcast where we talk about everything, environment, and justice through the generational activism lens of two generations of awesome activists. Thus, I am your one co-host, Annika Van Rossum, joined by my wonderful other co-host and mother, Maya Van Rossum. So we're going to kick this off with our Green Amendment, Green Fact Check. And uh, Maya, I have some questions, or mom, I call you Maya just because I'm used to like a professional, this feels like a professional setting of like Maya, but I'm gonna call you mom. (laughs) Mom, tell me about Roundup.
1: Yeah, so this is a great fact check for this week. Um, People are out there um, right now, no matter, somewhere in the nation, people are out there working in their gardens. I guess it depends where you are in the state what weather you're enjoying right now or maybe not enjoying but there are places and spaces where people are outside um, in warmer weather and colder weather anticipating cooler weather and vegetation dying back Um, and so inevitably somebody is out there somewhere trying to use an herbicide on their garden to deal with some problematic something. Perhaps it's Canadian thistle, perhaps it's bindweed. Um, But there are so many invasives right now. Um, And the herbicide of choice uh, is from most property owners is Roundup because everybody is told all the time by industry and even by government officials and environmental agencies that Roundup is safe no problems with roundup it's safe for your for your health it's safe for the environment so go forth and use roundup well the fact checked of the, of the day is that is not true roundup <laughs> is not safe it is not safe for the environment it is not safe for your health first and foremost let's remember that roundup kills things on contact right? That's the whole point of it. So we know that there are toxic properties that we have to be concerned about. I know, I understand.
0: People are like, it's so safe. I'm like, if you spray it on something and it immediately dies, questionable. Always questionable.
1: Questionable. Now, it does take a little bit of time for it to die with Roundup, but it starts to die within hours usually. So, um, I want you to know that there is research out there that shows that yes, Roundup is in fact uh, dangerous for the environment. In fact, there are a number of studies that particularly focus on tadpoles, frogs, and toads. They are an indicator species in many settings. And what you find is that after exposure, a high percentage of those critters, uh, I think on the order of 75% in one study, um, dies within 24 hours. Uh, so that's just one little factoid, one study, but it's just emblematic of other studies that, that are out there that shows that, you know, critters in the environment that are exposed to Roundup do in fact suffer in a multitude of ways, including death.
0: Care about um, frogs, people. Frogs are great. Frogs get so discounted and they are cute and wonderful. Yeah,
1: they, they are. Although I have to say the other day I was picking up um, a pot uh, that I thought was an empty pot of soil that I wanted to use because one of the the great plants that you planted for me, Annika, here in the home office, um, the dogs knocked the pot off of the counter, and so I had to repot your. What what are they? What are they? What kind of plants are they?
0: I don't know. I got you a snake plant. I got you an aloe vera. Yeah, but what
1: kinds of there's oh, succulents. Suc- Succulents, yeah, beautiful. Anyway, so I took this empty pot of soil, right? And I was dumping the soil into the new pot and there was something big in there. I thought it was like a big piece of paper or something. And I went to pull it out and it was soft and it jumped. And it was a toad that had obviously nestled into this pot of soil. That's so cute. Um, I know, isn't it? So, so I immediately, of course, recreated this pot of soil and I nestled the, it was a toad, I think, nestled him back in Probably, there, yeah. put him back outside. Um, so, and when, when I checked later, he or she was hunkering down, eyes peeking out. So just want you to know, I, I saved okay. the toad and okay. I found that some like, other soil for the plant. The Here, one that let's was in get the back fire to the fat check. Yeah, no, no, it wasn't in the fire. Let's get back to the fact check. So the other thing I want you to know is that there is also right research um, and scientific information that uh, talks about the safety concerns for people and that, um, in fact, um, glyphosate Roundup glyphosate is the active ingredient in Roundup, Um, the active ingredient glyphosate Roundup itself, which includes inactive ingredients. have been shown to be linked with a variety of health issues, um, including non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, including Parkinson's, um, including birth defects, including cancers, uh, including uh, depression and other things. Um, And in fact, um, it's not just demonstrated by the science, but it has also made its way into the courtrooms. And so there have been a number of cases at, the, at this point where um, people have secured either awards or settlements in the tens of millions of dollars range uh, because of their claims that the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma that they suffer from was the result of exposure to round up. Uh, and in a number of cases, there have been settlements. In fact, um, one company has agreed to settle with 125,000 people or different people, right? Um, engaged in a multiple settlements that, when all told, rise to over $10 billion, right? When you put all those settlements together. So, look. No company's giving up over $10 billion to 125,000 people who are claiming concerns about their health from exposure to Roundup if there's nothing to it. So next time you have to go out to the garden um, and you're quickly and lightly grabbing for that Roundup, think twice, maybe don't do it. There are other options. That's the fact check for the week.
0: So this week's episode is really cool. We're going to be talking to you guys about an issue that's very near and dear to our family's heart and also something that my mom has been working on for a very long time um, through her role as the Delaware Riverkeeper, and that is sturgeon. So if you don't know what sturgeon are, they are a very uh, special kind of species of fish that have been around basically since the time of the dinosaurs. Um, Sturgeon can live to be up to 100 years old there's various species of sturgeon. I think there's like uh, five maybe. Um, And yeah, they're really cool. Go Google them. If you don't know what they look like, they're very prehistoric looking. They have these very cool plates. Um, They have been known to do something scary if you're in the boat, but cool if you see it where they actually kind of like launch themselves out of the water. Um, And some fishermen have been knocked off their boats, but they're fine. Um, But (laughs) They're really cool. Um, And yeah. So my mom, do you want to tell us about your work with sturgeon and tell everyone, you know, what they need to know about sturgeon?
1: Yeah. So I, I love that you talk about the age of the sturgeon, right, that they really are an ancient fish that has been around since the time of the dinosaurs. And it's a real question. Will they survive so many catastrophic things that have happened to this planet since the age of the dinosaurs? but will they survive the age of the people? That is the question. And in our Delaware River, we have two species of sturgeon. We have the short-nosed sturgeon and the Atlantic sturgeon. And both of them are endangered species. Um, The thing about the Atlantic sturgeon, which um, is very, I say interesting, but it's like scary interesting is that Our line of Atlantic sturgeon in the Delaware River is a genetically unique line that exists nowhere else on Earth, Annika, nowhere else on Earth, but in our Mm. beautiful Delaware River.
0: That is cool. I mean, it's cool. I'm sure I'm not going to like what's about to follow for what happens to the genetically unique species, which also I have to correct what I said. There's about 27 species of sturgeon. um, And collectively, which is, I think, a good for probably where you might be going. Collectively, no other group on the planet of fish is more endangered than the sturgeons in general. Um, Yeah.
1: And of all of those species of sturgeon and all of the genetic lines within there, the one that is most imperiled is the genetically unique line of Atlantic sturgeon that lives in the Delaware River. And it is imperiled, of course, because of the actions and activities of people. And in fact, the Delaware River was once home to such an immense number of sturgeon that in the history books, they would say you could walk across the Delaware River on the backs of the sturgeon. There were so many and in in fact the caviar industry had a hub along the Delaware River because there were so many sturgeon. And I think it was something on the order of 75% of all the caviar produced in the United States came from Delaware River sturgeon. Now, being a vegetarian, that kind of grosses me out. (laughs) Um, Which also to give you
0: a a poundage, I have 3,189,555 pounds of sturgeon were harvested. Over the course of just five years in like the 1890s, wow. to also put that perspective in there, it's a lot.
1: That's a lot. And that was one of the that was one of the actions and activities of people that put the shortnose sturgeon and the Atlantic sturgeon on their trage- trajectory of decimation here in in the Delaware River. Um, I think for the short-nosed sturgeon, they're on the um they they talk about. Um, a thousand or so when it comes to the genetically unique line a thousand
0: alive now a thousand in the water
1: yeah I think that that's the number that they that they talk about but when it comes to the genetically unique line of Atlantic surgeon at this point there are less than 300 spawning adults left less than 300
0: which is just like alarming too because I mean 300 is very small number, a uh, very very small number. Um, and for people who don't know, also sturgeon, it's not like an annual thing. They don't, you know, they're not like the salmon that you see go up the river in the cool Nat Geo documentaries every year. Like, they re- take a few years to actually reproduce, and they need a very specific type of ecosystem, like with very specific salinity levels, very specific oxygen levels in the water, all that. Um, so a lot of the man-made issues, climate change issues, all that, which we'll get into, um, make the already difficult and long process of them reproducing now even more difficult. And so when you think about only 300, you know, only be able to do it every few years, that's pretty alarming for the, for the species.
1: It's not a lot. No, it's not a lot. And the thing that's so shocking is we have so few, and yet Every year I continue to have to battle in my role as the Delaware River against actions and activities and proposals by people that would further um, decimate those critical habitats that you talked about necessary for the Atlantic surgeon to live, to survive, to thrive, to eat, to procreate, um, and also action and activities that very literally take them. Now, take them is a legal word, as you know, under the Endangered Species Act, we talk about taking. Your legal term of the day, everybody. (laughs) And what does one of the definitions of take under the Endangered Species Act mean, Annika? To harm. To kill. (laughs) To kill. There's like, don't just throw me. I don't have it memorized. Don't throw that at me yet. Yes. So one of the things when we take a species, it means we kill them. Um, And so it's really horrifying. Um, And so in the Delaware River, the kinds of things that are happening all the time are dredging projects where they dredge out the bottom of the river for um, shipping. Uh, And in fact, the Delaware River's main navigation channel, one of my biggest battles over the last 20 years has been to battle against the deepening of the main channel of the Delaware River from 40 to 45 feet. For a number of reasons, one, because it was not necessary to support the ports, but two, because of the tremendous level of environmental harm, including harms to the quality of the water in the river, harms to wetlands, harms to horseshoe crabs, harms to oyster populations, and harm to sturgeon by harming their habitat by literally taking the sturgeon, by increasing shipping traffic, which means increasing ship strikes, which means increasing kills of sturgeon. And one of the parts of that project, Annika, was to, was to is to, because we were successful for about 20, 20 years, and then in 2010, lost the battle against the deepening project and they started to carry it forth. And one of the elements of the project was to literally blast out and destroy a rock ledge that exists in the Delaware River in what's called the Marcus Hook Reach of the River. And it is this rock ledge that provided critical habitat for the young of year of the sturgeon. And they were going to do this this blasting and destruction during what time of year? The time of year when the young of year are sometimes known to hang out there. Really horrifying.
0: Again, it's like sometimes the timing with these things, I really... Like I I can only picture these people as like the cartoon, like hunched over villain with the like (laughs) type of thing going on because it's just, I mean, it's awful any time of year, but I'm like, you guys really picked the most diabolical time to do this. Like you really gave no F words that I won't like that is.
1: And they had all sorts of excuses, right? And they they disclaimed they that that was what was going to happen. But the science was clear, right? The science was clear. Um, but there are also dredging projects uh, right now. We're battling against a dredging project for a liquefied natural gas export facility that they want to put on the Delaware River, right? And they have to dredge to reach it. There's a a windport project, which is a positive clean energy project, but they want to do a level of dre- dredging, um, and um in the river at a time place space that would be harmful to the atlantic sturgeon there's a port expansion project where they literally want to put 13 big fans spinning in the in the river water column okay and what lives in the water column of a river fish right and you know so the just horror horrifying all the tremendous harms inflicted on the atlantic sturgeon but one of the things that that happens. so we have these direct harms. we're, we're carving out we're destroying their habitat um, we are actually we're putting so much pollution into the delaware river still that we um, have low oxygen levels and in fact the the um standard for oxygen in the delaware river and the delaware estuary the part of the river where the atlantic sturgeon live and attempt to procreate. The dissolved oxygen standard in that part of the river is over 50 years old. It is, and it is a standard that requires 3.5 milligrams per liter of oxygen in the water column. The problem is the sturgeon need 6.3 milligrams per liter or more. And um, we have had in recent years that there have been times when the oxygen has dip down to that standard and even below when you're taking spot checks right and so you know sturgeon all fish just like people if suddenly the oxygen gets sucked out of the room right they don't magically the 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 fish the people don't magically disappear and end up somewhere else where there's more more ability to breathe they're stuck there Um, And so we've been battling at the Delaware Riverkeeper Network, along with partner organizations we have like Environment New Jersey and Clean Air Council and Penn Future, we've been battling to get the agencies to update, upgrade those standards so they come into into conformity with the science and protect oxygen levels at 6.3 milligrams per liter. Or more. But I mean, how horrifying is that? A standard that's over 50 years old that we know is providing on the order of less than half the oxygen that a species needs to survive, a species on the brink of extinction. I mean, wh- what does that say about we the people? Ah, uh,
0: yeah. I mean, I feel like those people have never been near a sturgeon, if you ask me. Like, I I don't even think I've ever held a sturgeon but just like looking at them and seeing what I've seen is pretty beautiful and I can't imagine I don't know I think that's where I never understand like animal cruelty or things like that like you're looking at another living being and especially something as ancient as a sturgeon that like the one you could be holding could have been alive in like the 1930s like they can live up to 100 years and just to see how like powerful they are and someone could just look at it and not feel the need to protect it. I don't know. It's very, it's hard. And I mean, and I think you guys are also kind of battling against issues that you don't even have control about. So like one of the issues I was reading about the other day with sturgeon reproduction levels is because sea level, because of climate change, we have sea level rise and that is also affecting the uh, salinity, which salinity is the level of salt in the water um, if you've never heard that term so it's affecting the salinity which again so they're battling oxygen levels being depleted they're battling the very environment that they need to thrive for themselves and their eggs changing slowly and there's only so much that local organizations can do about it Um, and on top of that too they require a very hard packed river bottom for the eggs to actually you know, stay and have time to grow. And so then you also have dredging and deepening projects that rip up that, that bed that's been building for who knows how many, like hundreds of years. And it's just this soft, mushy, gushy thing.
1: And, yeah. And the thing about the sea level rise. So I want to explain that also a little bit to people. And you're so right to raise this issue of salinity levels, right? The amount of salt in the water and and as you suggested, the, the sturgeon, the Atlantic sturgeon, um, they propagate, they procreate um, in the um, less salty waters of the Delaware estuary, the fresh water reaches of the Delaware estuary right so in an estuary you have fresh waters that are coming down from the river and then you have salt water that's coming up from the ocean and in the estuary is where that salty water and that fresh water meet and depending on whether the tide is coming in and depending on how much fresh water is coming down this that that interface where the salt and the fresh water meet and we're literally what they call the salt line, right? And so there's a part where you've got fresh water, you've got salty water, you've got blended water and they have this part that's called the salt line and sort of that whole mix of salt and fresh water um, moves up and down depending again on tides and how much water is coming down the river and what's, what's happening. So it goes up and it goes down. Um, but there's a range where where that salt line is Um, And so it's in the fresher portion of the estuary where the sturgeon go to procreate to lay their eggs. And then after the eggs hatch, as they come down the river, right, they come into the saltier, saltier, saltier parts of the river. And ultimately in their life cycle, they go out into the ocean later to return to their natal waters um, to procreate. Themselves. But the thing is, right, as um, this freshwater portion of the river that the sturgeon need to lay their eggs is in that limited section of the Delaware estuary. And so as sea level rises, you have more salty water pushing up into the estuary, moving that salt line further and further upriver. And as we dredge and deepen and carve out the, the bottom of the river, what we actually do is create more space for that salt water to come in, and it increases the pressure of the salt water. So we now have sea level rise plus dredging and deepening, both of which come together. And increase the pressure of the salt line moving up the river. And so what's happening is the freshwater portion of the river is shrinking. It's getting shorter and shorter. And the further the salt line goes up the river, we also have to remember as we go up a river, right from the bay up into the river, the river actually is narrowing. So now we have a shorter, thinner section of river where the Atlantic sturgeon can procreate. Um, which is making it even harder because there's less place and space for them to make their babies. And so when you put all that together, right, we are, as you said, we are taking a population, a genetically unique line that's already on the brink, less than 300 spawning adults left, and we are carving out their habitats and we are depriving them of oxygen and we're putting dangerous contaminants in the water that affects them. And we are shrinking the places and the spaces where they can actually procreate. How is it possible that this genetically unique line is going to outlive us? It just boggles my mind. I mean, I don't, I mean, I think it's
0: um, being your daughter and hearing all these things and working for you many, many years. Um, I just feel like they're getting it from all fronts. So like that whole explanation and, you know, salinity, oxygen levels, and then you're talking about the dredging and the deepening, and then, um, the increased ship traffic, which also, if anyway, don't Google it, please don't, there's nothing more horrifying than seeing a picture of a sturgeon. That's just been cut very deeply by a boat propeller, um, or by Um, a ship. In fact.
1: I think that the only sturgeon that I've, the actual, only actual Delaware river sturgeon I've ever seen are cut up dead on the banks of the river. Isn't that sad? I mean that, and then too, you guys also have,
0: um, there's also a power plant that.
1: Yep. The Salem, you got it. The Salem nuclear (laughs) generating station, um, uses an old form of technology Uh, to to run themselves. And as a result of that old form of technology, they literally kill over 14 billion fish, eggs, and larvae every single year. They suck them into their what is called their cooling water intake structure in one end, and they spit them out the other end, or they try to filter them out on... um, big screens, but the pressure of the water and the screens can damage the fish so much that literally the fish don't survive that process. And amongst the fish that have gotten impacted by Salem are the sturgeon of the Delaware River. So you are right, they are getting hit from all angles. And it makes me so, so angry that that we are about to, to wipe this genetically unique line off of the face of the earth, because of the actions and activities of people, actions and activities that don't need to happen, don't need to happen. And I wonder, Annika. I wonder. You know, I I I, I am battling for these sturgeon all the time. You know, you you are a person that is still, you know, working. You're you're doing your own advocacy. You're doing your own work, but you're still right young in your life and young in your career. <laughs> and I do wonder. As angry as it makes me that this is happening, how angry does it make you that, I mean, I'm angry that these these, these industrial operators and these power plants and these government officials are all willing to sacrifice the Atlantic sturgeon of the Delaware River and, and, and are just fine. In fact, there are politicians down in the state of Delaware that are right now, right now. Goading the agencies to overlook the science when it comes to the environmental impact impacts of that um that port um expansion project that I I told about in Edgemore. It's called the Edgemore Port Expansion Project, trying to get government agencies to overlook the environmental impacts of that expansion project. Amongst them would be the impacts to the Atlantic Surgeon and pressuring the agency to just slide through the approvals it makes me so angry I, and i and i am angry about the fish but i'm angry i'm angry about the impacts for the earth and i think about, I, i'm and i'm sad that you my daughter them my son and if you were to decide to have children your future children may never be able to see an Atlantic sturgeon, not because you don't have the time to check them out, but because they won't be here anymore. And I wonder how that makes you feel.
0: Um, I mean, pretty alarming as someone who also, um, the fun rule in our house when I was a kid was if I wanted to watch TV in the morning, it had to be some kind of educational show. And so normally I opted for the animal shows because that was always where my passion was and I think still lies in animal activism in some ways. And I think, I never understood, like I was saying earlier, I never understood how people looked at another living being and had zero reaction or the reaction of like, I deserve to kill it, whatever, like in the weird way that some people do. and I think about how, and I think it makes me sad because I think about how, when I talk to so many of my friends or just people in life, how like, because, um, because of who you are and being able to just like go on studies with you or go on um, events where animals are at or interesting and to be there and how great that was for me, but also how that's not really anything that like. People get to experience outside of those unique opportunities, not even just because like, oh, activists get to do that, but because there's not those creatures around or they're like, there are so few and that does like, ah, to hear like that, you know, there were so many sturgeon that you could just like walk across them. I mean, that's so (laughs) alarming, but like to think about just like what a thriving population and just like how beautiful that must have been to see. And I still, so I think it's like the Delaware river was like called like back in the 1890s was the cap, the caviar capital of the world. And I, I guess I just don't, even just from seeing pictures of a sturgeon, like how badly I want to hold one or just see one, like, you know, go through and to only see them on TV and to only think that that might be all, you know, Vim, that might, all Vim might only get to experience in his life is some documentary like when you hear about the dodo bird and like here's a picture of one but you'll never get to see it and it's not it's hard because I feel like I have a a mixed emotion of anger and sadness and the anger comes again like when I have found myself in a room of decision makers or just listening and it just feels like nobody cares And that's what I'm like, why don't you care? And like, yeah, why wouldn't you? Like the people working at these agencies that set these very minimal standards, if you're listening agency people, um, and they don't think about their kids or they don't think about like why that doesn't ever pop into their brain. It's just so frustrating. And I like, I guess I feel like for activists like you and I, it's really feeling that connection to nature and to these animals at a very like soulful level at a very personal level and frankly I think when we defend them it's like defending a member of your family or a loved one is how it feels and to know that other people's reaction is just like
1: whatever you know it's it's so uh you know, I, it's so um, striking to me. I was going to say interesting, but I think it's really striking to me that you chose the dodo bird. Because, you know, and the, well, the reason is I, like, I remember, I don't, I don't know if it was elementary school or middle school, but I had to do a project that had to do with the loss of species. And the animal that I picked was the dodo bird. And I still remember in my mind, seeing this picture of this like immense cool looking bird called the dodo bird and and it was like the picture even the picture itself was sort of like um ancient looking or old looking not the bird itself but the actual drawing it was yeah. like from an old book anyway and i i just i remember being struck by like how, how could it be that this bird you know walk the earth and now it's gone and you know and it I, I i and i remember the sadness of that and again i remember that that bird and you know and then when you you go on to think you know here we're talking about the dodo bird we're talking about the atlantic sturgeon we're talking about all sturgeon and then you know if you go and look up Um, You know, do a search through the books, through the Google, through the whatever, you know, and you just see how many species have been lost from the earth, not by for any number of reasons, but because of the actions of people. And the figure that I um, came up from from one credible news outlet was that since the 16th century, because of people. There are 680 vertebrate species that have been driven, driven to extinction, 680. I mean, that is so much, and that is so sad, and that is so angering to me that we did that. And I think, too, if
0: um, anyone listened to that, to our very first episode, when you put humans in the context when you like shrink it all down to how long humans have been on earth in like a 24 hour span we've been here for 3 seconds yeah and that's what we've done in 3 seconds um and that's very it's just heartbreaking i mean i have no other reaction than it's like heartbreaking and i think too like when i when you first told me the sturgeon in the and the delaware are genetically unique like why the immediate reaction would not be like, we're gonna do everything possible to protect them or you know, to make sure their levels get back up to where they're supposed to be, which is always a hard thing too, because I feel like people do this weird thing like with the wolf population, when the wolves got back up to where they were supposed to be like, oh yeah, now we're gonna go shoot them from helicopters. Oh, That's a great idea. Oh and it's like not, like, not that I want don't want the sturgeon to be back at prime levels, obviously, but then I think the battle then of course comes is this weird thing that people do well like well they're back to where they were so now we can start harvesting them for three million pounds of caviar again and, yeah, like, and they don't even
1: have to get back to where they were yeah they have just get, have to get back to a definition of what's you know quote unquote sustainable yeah. and so once we hit sustainable again even though it might be at a very low level um, as you said like let's let's go back to town you know and and get to get to work taking. Remember what taking means, Annika? What's one definition of taking? To kill. To kill, right. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, this is the lawyer mom helping the law student <laughs> with, her, that was with last, her
0: studies. That was last year. I passed that exam though, so it's good. I remember I read the definition down. I just cannot yeah. remember all of them. I mean, it's just...
1: So I think, though, you know what I want people to know, though, it was just as we were talking, like, wow, ooh, boy, this is a really heavy show. Although a lot of our stuff is, is heavy. But I mean, this is really heavy. Um, we're trying I to give you guys to, hope in the end, too. That right, there's always to give you hope
0: there's let's tell you about the issues. And there's always a solution because we are very much the activists that are like, you cannot stop fighting. And we would like you all to
1: join in the fight. So yeah. don't give up. Yeah. Don't give up. <laughs> get involved in the fight. And that is right. That's like, that's what's empowering. And, you know, when it comes to issues like these, you know, no, you're not going to go out there and be able to, you know, provide food to the Atlantic sturgeon <laughs> to help revive them or, you know, like help them nurture you Can't suck babies. out the salt.
0: You guys no. can go and try to Blow a straw into the water and see if you put some. O- no, you wouldn't put oxygen there. Never mind. No, I don't you know. wouldn't put a straw
1: in there either, Annika, because a straw is like. Pl- Come on now. Yeah, a reusable way, people, straw.
0: A reusable straw. There you go. But right. I'm. I'm not oh. a scientist, so ignore that.
1: <laughs> so, but, but you know what? But, but, but these are the kinds of issues that are really like. There is a lot that people can do. So there is a battle for the Atlantic surgeon, right? There is a battle to get the Delaware River Basin Commission. Who, Annika, the Delaware River Basin Commission, our favorite agency, who could do something but is choosing not to, to raise those oxygen standards, um, and that would help address, you know, give the sturgeon the oxygen they need, as well as all of the species in the in the Delaware River, um, but it will also help address, you know, pollution problems, um, and it will improve things for a whole bunch of uses and and and. Um, provide a lot of tremendous value to the estuary and to the river. There is a big battle to stop that Edgemore Port expansion project um, because it's it's not needed and it will inflict tremendous harm and there, you know, continues to be a battle against the liquefied natural gas export facility and the dredging that that would do um, and the impacts it would have on the sturgeon and also Liquefied natural gas exports. What are they exporting? Frack shale gas. What's frack shale gas? A dirty fossil fuel. Methane, right? If you've been listening to our shows, you would have heard about the ravages of fracking and methane and know that those are all bad, bad things. And so, you know, when we, when we, when we get engaged and advocate to protect the Atlantic surgeon, we are also getting engaged and advocating to protect the people. Because in one way or another, all the issues that are impacting the sturgeon um, and all the species of the earth are impacting the people, for better or for worse. So if you live along the Delaware, right, go to DelawareRiverKeeper.org and you can find the Edgemore Port Expansion, the um, LNG, Gibbstown LNG Export uh, Uh, LNG export battle, you can find the petition to increase the DO standards, the dissolved oxygen standards in the river, but if you don't live along the Delaware do a Google search i'm sure that you've got. Sturgeon or other important species in your community that need your help and that need your voice. And I bet you that there's a good advocacy organization out there pushing some better decision, right, and that can help you get involved. And so that's really the positive note. As you said, Annika, there is a place and space and activism for everyone. And when it comes to advocating for species protection, there is definitely a place, a space, and a need for everyone to get involved. And I think
0: too, for everyone, like don't discount, you know, yeah, check out those websites, see what those organizations have to offer. Um, Don't discount anything you can do. I think people often discount like putting my name on a petition is not a big deal. It is put and if you want to make it a bigger deal, email that petition link, take that petition to your next family dinner, or you hanging out with your friends, or like whatever email, you know, post it on Facebook. That's just like, hey, will you join this? And you'll get probably five to twenty. You never know. Um, social media, the internet is a powerful thing. So amplify your voice that way. Again, whatever organization you choose, every donation counts for nonprofits. They work very hard. It's dedicated people. A dollar, five dollars helps everyone. Like whatever you way you can in your own life make your voice heard. It's of benefit and. Don't ever discount that. I think it's really important, and I think you know one of the great things I've seen through Delaware Riverkeeper Network is even when you guys have had gone to like DRBC public comments, and maybe even only sometimes there's huge community turnout. Sometimes it's on an inconvenient day or time, like maybe they try to do that on purpose. I don't know. Um, and only five people can make it, and those five people have very powerful statements. Um, that have brought me to tears sometimes. So just never discount your personal story, your voice and your ability to bring attention cuz sturgeon are not very well known and I know that like the times I've said to people like, "Did you know the Delaware River has a genetically unique species of sturgeon?" They're like, "What? I didn't know that." And people get real jazzed up about it. Um so don't and ever you know, discount yourself.
1: No, and you know and um and it's also it, it's such a good point cuz it also, you know, depends on what the issue is and what the time is on how many people need to turn out to make a difference. So for example, a couple of years ago, there was um, a, a proposal, the Army Corps of Engineers was involved, um, no surprise, that was going to um, devastate a very unique habitat uh, at the bottom of the Delaware Bay that was critical for not just the Atlantic Sturgeon and the short-nosed sturgeon of the Delaware River, but as it turns out, sturgeon species from all over would actually come for some reason, they don't even still don't really know why, and come to this very sort of deep hole that was in the in the Bay. And the um, Army Corps of Engineers was, was helping to advance a project that would have filled it in. Uh, we learned about it, and we quickly called for letters, and um, on our website, Delaware riverkeeper.org we had information and you know we put out a call for action and for people to do letters and either to send their own letters directly and we gave them the email and the information or they could submit a letter through um, the website and we got we got about 100 letters went in but within a 24-hour period and do you know what within two days we turned that around and they pulled that project back and that permit proposal back. And that project has never advanced. And so it was because um, a relatively small number of people acted quickly to get those letters in and it turned the whole thing around now we've had other battles, like the battle to get a ban against fracking within the boundaries of the Delaware river basin. You know when we were at a point that our petition, and that was a petition campaign, where we only had 100 names eh, that probably wouldn't have done it for us we're talking about four states we're talking about convincing the governors and a representative for the President Um, but people kept sharing and sharing and sharing and sharing and sharing this petition with their friends and their neighbors and their families and on social media and with strangers and they went you know they went out and they collected signatures at the local county fair and whatever and um we got to the point of having over 70,000 signatures 70,000 signatures on a petition um of this kind That was huge. That was the biggest number of signatures the Delaware River Basin Commission had ever gotten um, on an issue of this kind. And it was critical to our success in getting a ban against fracking, first a moratorium, and then ultimately a ban against fracking in the boundaries of Delaware River Watershed. So as you said, the number matters, but so too does context. And yes, every petition begins with one signature Every every letter writing campaign begins with one letter, but if we all do our part, right, we can grow those numbers quickly and over time. And so, you know, and that's what we're doing with our green amendments for the generations movement right every state where there's a green amendment that's advancing at for the there's a petition, and there's a letter writing opportunity. And people are adding their names, adding their names, adding their names. And so when we reach a critical mass, we will be able to use those petitions and those names to really advocate for that fundamental transformation of the constitution of a state to put in place a constitutional right to a clean and healthy environment that rivals the rights to free speech and freedom of religion in a state. it all starts with one, but who knows where it's going to end? Only we, the people, can dictate by our actions, our activities, and our engagement.
0: There you go. That's your that's your inspiration for this episode. Um, yeah, I mean, there's something, there's a place for everyone. And I just, again, don't ever discount what you can do. Putting your name on one letter can matter more than you can imagine. You could be the person that takes the signatures from 999 to 1000 and 1000 is a great number so you never know you should definitely do it and also for anyone that is interested in the sturgeon issue a little bit more um Delaware Riverkeeper Network is awesome and Maya believes well my mom believes that everyone should be able to hear those things and you can become a member at no cost and just get all those updates and pay attention hear all that and I think it's great um So if anyone's interested and you want to stay up to date, become a member of Delaware Riverkeeper Network, too. Um,
1: Yeah, that's my pitch for you. (laughs) Speak for the surgeon. I love it. Hey, and you know what? Um, There was a recent episode where you actually, I just realized there was a recent episode where you talked about the great uh, Green Amendments for the Generations t-shirt that um, you and Bridget, Molly and Quincy worked up, right? Your words, their design and their help. And anyway, I'm wearing one of those t-shirts. So for those who are watching online, I'm gonna show you what this really cool t-shirt looks like. Annika, you can read the words. Oh, here, I gotta unplug my computer so that I can show it to you. Way cool, way cool. Here we go, here we go. Computer coming down, whoop. Everything's getting in the way. Okay, ready? Can you see it? says the rights
0: you didn't know you don't have.
1: Cool, with a great big hand. And then when I turn around, can I make it work? Can I'm I make it work? I'm so scared for I'm your computer. Around? No, can I can see only it?
0: see your backside. I oh, no, you what cannot. What does
1: it say? Oh, I, oh, wait, the screen went down. What does it say? I don't know, You're, this is too chaotic. Oh man, okay, too chaotic. It would be All better right.
0: if you put it on the stand. Pure water,
1: turn clean around. air. Stable climate and healthy environments. Oh, there we go. Does that work? Yeah, there we go.
0: Pure water, clean air, a stable climate and a healthy environment.
1: So cool. So a little bit chaotic, but beautiful shirt. And because I happened to be wearing it and I remembered that you had mentioned it in a recent episode, I wanted to show everybody. So there you go.
0: Which also, right. I don't care if you said, if it sounds pitchy, it's also a very cool shirt. Is the sturgeon shirt that you guys have at Delaware Riverkeeper Network. Oh, yeah. That's um, like, we outlive. It's, it has a picture of a sturgeon. That says like, we outlive the dinosaurs, but will we outlive humans? Yeah. So if you really care about sturgeon too, I just think that's a cool shirt. I get lots of, comments on it. And again, very simple thing, whatever you want to do, you do. But a very simple thing is like when you wear shirts like that, you create a conversation. And I think that's just cool. And you might, again, there's a place for everyone. You might just wear that shirt. I have worn that shirt so casually, like to the gym or on a grocery shopping trip. And somebody every time has stopped me and is like, what does that mean? And it's just a conversation. And you have educated one person about an important issue. So that's also a cool shirt at the Delaware River Keeper Network store um, if you're yeah. interested in that. And I think it's cool. I think it's
1: just cool to wear. Oh, dogs shaking the table, sorry. So that must mean, that, <laughs> that must mean <laughs> we have come to the end of our time because Oppia the dog our little, our little has deemed it so. <laughs> anyway, so I think that this was a very informative episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. Most importantly, I hope you all are inspired to get engaged. Write a letter, sign a petition, wear a t-shirt, spread the word, um, and become a member of Delaware Riverkeeper Network, become a member of Green Amendments for the Generations. Um, Both organizations, seeing as they're both mine, they both follow my belief system, which is that nobody should have to pay to have a voice in protecting the environment. So you can join both organizations for free.
0: And you can follow both organizations on Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff, too. If you want to stay up to date, if you have any episode ideas for us, feel free. Um, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Green Jeans, talking about important issues through a generational activism lens. Signing off.